Hey, hey, what's up? What's up? Good morning, afternoon, or evening, good people, wherever you are, wherever you happen to be, and however we're together. Thank you for being here. I'm Dave, and this is Dave's Head. So, what's in my head? So, first of all, one of the big pet peeves that I have with people in general, and not necessarily people, it's a, a certain type of people, it, it's bullies. Bullies to me is a big trigger problem. I hate seeing bullying. I hate witnessing it. I hate seeing news stories about it. I hate all those types of things. Bullying to me is is such a cowardly, cowardly act by people who usually have their own shortcomings or take it out on somebody who's an easy target or they're exercising their power in the case that I'm about to describe to you. So I'm not even going to say his name because I'm disgusted by his whole presence, but the governor of Florida had a press conference in the last week or so. And students, high school, I'm gonna say that again, high school students from local Middletown High School in Florida were at this press conference as kind of like a backdrop. And the press conference was there, you know, it was happening to talk about a $20 million program to boost or bolster, I should say, cybersecurity studies in the state. And these students were there as kind of a backdrop. Well, these students were wearing a mask. And this governor decided it was a great time to berate them because they were wearing a mask in front of everyone. To the point where some of the students took their mask off and, and proudly, I should say, courageously, some of the students kept them on. And it's not even close to saying that the ones that took them off were not courageous at all. They were bullied. They were bullied and berated into taking off their masks. And we, we have this thing, right? The cancel culture. Oh my God, these people are canceling everybody. But yet it's okay for this governor to bully high school kids because of his own personal feelings, mostly not scientifically backed by the way, but his own personal feelings about masks and COVID precautions in general because he has this whole narrative to maintain his whole image to maintain he's trying to wiggle his way into some sort of higher position to be elected for and so he's going to bully these high school kids some of them into taking their mask off but all of them he berated it's disgusting it's absolutely disgusting and if i was one of the parents of one of those children standing there who was berated and bullied i'd have very public things to say because of course you're not going to get close to him to be able to confront him face to face because he would hide behind his protection or hide behind something else like a coward. But they would feel and know how I felt about him berating my child. And so Addison Davis, who's the Hillsborough County Public School Superintendent where these students attended Middletown High School, released a statement. And part one of the things that these that this Addison Davis said was it is a student and parent's choice to protect their health in a way that they feel most appropriate. Because this whole narrative about liberty, 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 right? You're taking away my liberty, you're forcing this, you're doing that. Well, it's also their liberty, right? To wear a mask they want to. If they want to walk around in a bubble suit, they can. Why? Because of liberty. Your liberty doesn't trump my liberty. I can do whatever I want to safeguard myself take sensible scientifically backed precautions because I don't know where the hell you've been 
you literally have railed against almost every scientifically backed precaution for COVID. So why would I want to wear or not wear, I should say, a mask around the likes of you and the likes of you being the governor? But this whole narrative about cancel culture and and PC and all this stuff, but yet it's okay for this governor to berate children. As I say, make it make sense. But this is what bullies do, right? Bullies do these types of things. They use the power and influence they have. They use an easy target to exercise and, and, and berate children because they can. Because after that press conference is over, they're going to go about their lives. And the people who support him aren't going to say he did anything wrong. They're going to pat on the back. boy. That's right. Yeah, no mask. Woo-hoo. But yet tomorrow they'll be screaming, my liberty, my rights. Tell me how that makes sense. Make that make sense. It's disgusting. And it's, it's something that's done by a really coward of a quote unquote man. Because anybody who bullies somebody, they're not a man to me. They're a coward little boy. He just happens to have governor powers. So it's more happier things. The second thing that's on my mind is my favorite, absolute favorite time of the year, March Madness. My favorite time of the year is back. If you know me, you know you will probably not get a hold of me with consistency after March Madness starts. I'm glued to the TV. I'm waiting for my one shining moment. I'm pretty much the worst healthy eating time of my entire year will happen in the next month. Because for some reason, I don't know why pizza and beer, March Madness, they go together. I don't know why. And I love my pepperoni pizza. And so I will be ordering or pulling out the freezer because I love my frozen pizzas. I don't know why I just do, but pizza and beer, it, it just is what it is. Now I will have to work out extra hard to kind of keep the, the fat away, but it's what I do to March Madness. So selection Sunday is March 13th at 6 PM, which is right after this episode drops. So the same weekend, a couple days later. The first two rounds are what's called the, the play-in is, I believe, March 14th and 15th, I think is, or 15th and 16th, I think. And then the first four, I'm sorry, the first four is the 15th and 16th. The first round, the first two rounds are the 17th or the 20th. So that Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Best, absolute, without a doubt, hands down, unequivocal, Keep throwing words and terms out there. There's no competition between the first weekend of March Madness. Why? Because you get the upsets, you get the drama. There are so many games happening at the same time. It literally, and forgive the analogy, it's an orgy of basketball. It's an orgy of really great theatric basketball. And it's my favorite time of the year. It absolutely is. The final four is April 2nd with the championship being April 4th. And it's kind of the, you know, the culmination of March Madness. It's, you know, only four teams on Saturday. It's two teams on Monday. And it's kind of like the Super Bowl of college basketball, right? I mean, I still remember the walk-off and it it couldn't have made me any happier to see the walk-off Villanova when they beat that team that I really don't like a couple years ago, uh, buzzer beater. I love me some March Madness. And so no offense to anybody, if I have, you know, family responsibilities, I'll take care of those before that Thursday next week. Um, you might hear from me. You might not. 
you probably won't see me post much unless there's some great drama happening uh, with the March Madness games. Yeah, I disappear. I go AWOL. Um, I would say check on me, though, because, you know, I might get kidnapped or something. Who knows? And because I disappear for a weekend, they got to kind of head start on, you know, getting rid of the body. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But I love me some March Madness. And if you don't know that about me, you do know now. Um, it is absolutely, absolutely my favorite time of the year. I'm a big Syracuse basketball fan, college basketball fan, so I, you know, I always have hope. I don't really have much hope this year for Syracuse, but I'm looking forward to seeing some amazing March Madness and a really, really, really great shining moment. Plus, the Luther Vandross rendition of One Shining Moment is the greatest version. I don't know why they tried to change it a couple years ago. Stick with Luther. He's got the best version. So, before I go to my final thing that's in my head just want to let you know that what's in my head is brought to you by digger movers a safe and swift moving company and a plus rated one-stop shop licensed and insured moving company providing local and long-distance service on the move for more information visit their website at www.diggermovers.com or call 1-888-77-DIGGUM that's 1-888-773-4433 Three, six. The last thing that's on my mind is what I will call finality. If you've been following me all three seasons, listening, watching YouTube, and now Spotify, you know that I'm a part of the longest divorce in the history of divorces. Now, granted, it's not really true. It's kind of like that prior president who used to glorify everything. I'm the best. I'm the worst. I'm treated. The, you know, yeah, everything's hyperbole. And so is this. It's not the longest divorce in the history of divorces. I know because I researched it and it's not true, but it's the longest divorce in the history of my life <laughs> divorces. But one thing I've maintained throughout this entire ordeal is persistent patience. I say that, and I'll say it one more time, persistent patience through all the different things that my ex tried to put me through and we went through leading up to and through this process of a divorce um, I've maintained my persistent patience because I knew where I stood I knew I was not at fault all these things and so as this process has continued dates have been pushed back COVID just threw everything out of whack because it should have been done a year or so ago but maintaining that persistent patience has allowed me to get to the point where what I used to say was a light at the end of the tunnel. That's great to say because you feel like there's something coming. But there's a difference between the light at the end of the tunnel and actually seeing the end of the tunnel. Because that light at the end of the tunnel can be the little dot that just gets bigger and bigger and bigger over time, over time, over time. But actually seeing the end of that tunnel, where that light originates, is the true ending that you're looking for. One of my favorite TV series of all time, Star Trek The Next Generation. If you know me, I'm a big Star Trek The Next Generation fan, or TNG, as we call it. The very last episode of Star Trek The Next Generation was titled All Good Things, in reference to all good things must come to an end. I'm not saying this divorce in any way, shape or form is a good thing, but I was reminded of this in the last couple of days when I got an email from my lawyer with a date for finality 
uh, for this divorce. And the premise of the episode, really quickly, is that Jean-Luc Picard, who's the captain of the Starship Enterprise, is traveling back and forth through three periods of time, the present, the future, and the past. And so there's an anomaly, as it's called in Star Trek, something that they don't know about that's happening in space. This anomaly is bigger in the past, smaller in the present, and tiny in the future. And so one of the things with persistent patience is you're persistently patient because you understand the choices that you've made. You understand what those choices have caused as far as where you are in life, and you've learned from those choices for what decisions you're gonna make in the future. And so the way this analogy in my mind worked when I thought of this was in the past it's bigger, just doing this analogy, because all the choices you've made in your life shining a big bright light on the present place that you are right now. Because the conglomeration of all the choices you've made have led you to this point. It's a little smaller right now because you have that knowledge, but you're still looking forward and basically guessing. You're taking steps not knowing whether the ground is solid or soft, quicksand, don't know. And it's smaller in the future because you don't know what those choices are gonna mean that you're making today. And so as you travel through time, the things that you go through in life prepare you for the things you're gonna face in life. And hopefully you've learned from the bad choices, you're applying the good choices to make great choices in the future. That's the hope, right? It doesn't always work out that way. Another analogy and something I tell students when I give speeches to students that I mentor is I talk about the price is right. One of the games I grew up, if you have a grandmother from the 80s when you were growing up, you know she watched her price is right, then the news, then her soaps. Well, that was how I grew up. My second favorite game on Price is Right of all time is Plinko. And I like to give the example that Plinko game, that chip that you drop down, those pegs that it hit are kind of decision points in your life. And so you can hit the peg and go left, you can hit the peg and go right. And the idea is that the left side of the peg is bad choices and the right side are good choices. And so even when you think you're making a good choice, in the case of me going through with the wedding, to my ex. Now, clearly it was a bad choice. It was a bad choice in a woman. It was a bad choice to go through the marriage. That I know now. Back then, you know, they say love is one of the most powerful drugs in the world. You love someone, you care about someone, you see past their flaws and decide to move forward regardless. And so that peg went to the left. But since then, that peg's come back to the right. But without that peg going left, I never would learn the lessons that I needed to learn in that moment. And so a lot of people ask, well, how can you be so positive despite all the things that's happened the last couple of years is because I don't dwell caveat depending on the severity of the negativity, but I don't dwell on negativity for law. I live by the five, five, five rule, which you, there's so many variations of it, but mine is this. If it's not going to bother you in five days, five weeks or five months from now, it's not that big of a problem. There's a solution for everything. And even in the face of what I call evil, there's still a better day tomorrow and a better day after that and a better day after that. And so the finality of seeing the end of the tunnel, not just the light, but seeing the end of the tunnel is a beautiful, beautiful thing. I will add one more thing. Prenups are a good thing. Prenups get a bad rap, right? They get that stigma that, you know, if you get a prenup, you're really not 
in love with the person. You really don't care about the person if you're getting a prenup. Or if you get a prenup, you're really concerned about something with that person, so why are you marrying them anyway? Now, not to say that either one of those two things aren't true. However, let's be real, and I've talked about this before, 50% of marriages, and actually it's more than 50% now, end in divorce. And so a prenup can be simply saying this, I love you, I'm in love with you, I see no reason why we won't spend the rest of our lives together. However, as Stephen A would say, however, however, just in case something does happen to tear this marriage apart, let's lay out right now how we can just have a peaceful, amicable separation and go on with our lives. It can be something just in case it's needed, but not anticipated to need. And so I'm thankful for the prenup that I have. Thank you, self, for writing it. But prenups get a bad rap when they don't have to. It can simply be two adults saying, in case this happens, let's part amicably. And so I encourage people to have the conversation with your spouse that you're about to marry or think about it for the next person you get involved with because it's not something that has to be a negative thing. And sometimes you think you know someone until you don't know them. And so it's good to have that security there. But hopefully anyone under the sound of my voice right now has or will have a partner. They have no worries and will not have to worry about utilizing a prenup for the rest of their lives. That's my wish and hope for you guys. And that's what's in my head. University of Florida has an online master of science and sports management program where they characterize sports marketers as quote, selling an experience. They list the top four sports marketing skills as task management, big picture thinking, initiative and leadership ability, and writing skills, which you can kind of apply those to really any market, but when you're trying to sell something or trying to sell the experience, those are all key things to have qualities in. The reason I'm talking about that, because I want to bring my guest in for this episode, Amos Sleek. A little bit about him. He's a sports business marketing driven professional with 14 years in the industry. And he happens to be going on five years in the greatest fraternity in the land. Five Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated. So with that, Amos, welcome to Dave's Head. How's it going? Thank you, man. I really do appreciate it. I'm doing really good today. Good, good. I'm happy to have you. Um, I gave a little small little snippet, little preview intro about you, but I like to have my guests introduce themselves. So if you could take a moment, tell the people who you are, what you do, and what you're about. Absolutely. Well, um, as you gave uh, 14 years of experience working in the sports field, um, I'm originally from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, I attended the legendary Dobbins High School, which some of the legendary premier athletes came from, such as uh, Hank Gathers, Bo Kimball, Doug Overton, uh, Dawn Stelly, um, Raheem Brock, who's a Super Bowl champ. Um, just a f few names. Um, um, I, I got my first start in working in the sports field by just being a manager on a basketball team. Um, when I was a freshman, I managed the boys basketball team. Um, and I got an opportunity to just be around some great athletes. And I thought, this would always be a great opportunity. Um, I always decided to play football 
in baseball, but I thought, hey, you know what, why not get involved in also basketball? Um, as I continue to keep growing, I, um, I ended up going off to Indiana University of Pennsylvania, where I received my bachelor's in sports management. Um, I also received a, a sports administration master's from Delaware State University, and I also received a, a post-bachelor's and second master's in sports marketing, I'm excuse me, in uh, marketing analytics and um, interactive marketing from Towson University. Um, as you said, I'm a five-year, coming on five years, member of uh, the greatest fraternity in the world, Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated. Um, and I have a passion and a drive to just continue to keep supporting people out in the community, whether it's through nonprofit organizations, um, through uh, business entrepreneurship, uh, being supportive and creative content writing. And also my favorite is dealing with what I do every day, which is teaching and talking about um, sports marketing or sports management in that field. Got you. So a long line of education, number one. Um, but before we get into sports marketing and talking about that, take us briefly through your journey to get to Phi Beta Sigma. Um, you said you're about five years in, but how did Sigma come to you and, and what are your, your feelings almost five years in as you approach five years? Yeah, man, it has been um, still to this day, it's still a shock to get in. And I say that um, wholeheartedly because I didn't think it would happen. Uh, I got introduced to Sigma in 2006 um, at Indiana University, um, excuse me, Indiana University of Pennsylvania, um, the Brothers of Lambda Mu chapter. Um, I got a, a spark plug from those brothers because during that time I had gotten involved in um, working with the basketball team up at IUP um, and I was just so involved in sports. Um, and involved in what I was doing around campus, these brothers kind of just sought me out and was like, hey, you know, you're a cool brother. We see you at different functions and they were connected. So um, we got to talking and I got the chance to be around brothers in the fraternity and I learned more and more about what what their drive was, what their focus was. And I wanted to be, a. I, I thought that was a great opportunity. Um, so my um, ADP, um, he came in um, that uh, that um, excuse me in that year 2006 um, uh, Samuel Danzler and you know him and his line would always tell me like hey you know regardless of whatever happens in your life um, you'll get an opportunity not knowing it would take 11 years later for me to uh, you know join a fraternity in spring of 17 um, when I was living down in uh, Baltimore Maryland at the time and making a trip back and forth uh, to come through the chapter of uh, Theta Omicron Sigma in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. So that's how I got there. And um, it, it's been a, it's been a great journey. I've tried to get involved, as you know, as much as possible everywhere. Um, and I try to be around some good brothers like yourself who help inspire me to continue to want to do the best that I can in this fraternity so that I can make my impact at the end of the day. Got you, got you. All right, so um, let's get into a little sports marketing. So to start off, what does sports marketing entail? And talk a little bit about the industry. Sports marketing is the backing of 
all sports within the um within the ideal concept of uh, handling and constructing business from whether a storytelling perspective, whether from a selling, uh, creative content, uh, digital interaction, um, and uh, even supportive for like operations wise, as far as like creating activations with events, grassroots proposals, um, and handling kind of like just the everyday uh, functions of being able to connect one part of the sports realm to the rest of the world. Um, there, a lot of people, what a lot of people don't know about sports marketing is that, you know, you start at one end where everybody's watching sports, but they don't realize what it takes to kind of get to the other end where people are paying millions and billions of dollars to get the eyes and the attention of the people, um, every single day. Um, so that's kind of like how, you know, what sports marketing is. Gotcha. So Looking at sports marketing over the last 20 years, how has it changed and what's been the biggest driver of that change the last 20 years? Woo, um, man, uh, sports marketing, I would say about 20 years ago, wasn't as much of what it is now as far as like even the entire concept, like people didn't really know what it was. It was more so from the sense of just, hey, this is about sales, um, sports sales, this is about driving money. Um, people didn't understand the function of it entirely until we kind of got into more of a digital space. Um, now we're doing more creative content than ever um, in that world and being able to understand all the different aspects of how athletes manage themselves and they create this um, awareness. You know, it's sort of like when we talk about GDP in America, like there's a certain value of America and we need to understand what is the GDP of whether a sport itself or the athletes that are in it, you know, and when we constantly keep growing, we'll learn more and more and more about how to value those athletes and understanding, you know, how they cut deals, what, you know, what type of sponsorships or endorsements actually work, which ones don't work, um, you know, how they continue to keep promoting something and see, if um, it's a good fit for the future rather than just now. Because um, as in sports marketing is always about the future and not just now. Um, but you gotta be able to have a hindsight to see that um, at the moment that you're living in because that's the space. So it's a very difficult driving and I always tell people that one of the, I, I think that if he was more so in the sports world, he's starting to get into it a little bit, but I think Kanye West is like a good, Per, like, and I'm not big on him, but I would definitely say that that's one guy that you would look at and you'd be like, yo, he would be able to kind of like maneuver through that space in so many different ways, um, which he has because he just opened up Donda Academy um, in his own basketball team. And it really helps out with, you know, him pushing into that avenue or giving support towards um, those kids. But that's that's how the, the change has drastically made, especially when you add technology and how it's elevated i mean we can watch stuff from our phones now like it mm. it changes everything you know people used to get just eyes on emails <laughs> like 20 years ago it was just eyes on emails now it's actually eyes on phone so i need to know how many how many clicks how many times somebody's watching this thing you know every single day and that drives the number um and there's all types of platforms that keep track of those numbers 
Um, it keeps track of the responses that people give and that type of stuff gives conversion to understanding more about what we can do in that, in that sports area of marketing. Yeah. Kanye is having a little bit of a rough time right now. Um, you know, <laughs> with what's going on with him and Kim and the Kim lookalikes yeah. and all that stuff. Um, I'm yeah. not a big entertainment personality follower, but you can't help but see the Kanye stuff that's going on. Um, but what I'll say is it sounds like marketing to me is very forward thinking. Like you said, you're making, you're easily hedging your bets on whatever you're trying to market that what you're selling actually will pan out for the person that's trying to buy it. Mm -hmm. Does that sound mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's constant. It's constant. That's the one thing about it is always constant movement. Um, one of the first people that I ever got a chance to meet and talk to um, in the sports world was uh, um, the famous Sonny Hill that's in Philadelphia. And um, there was moments where you could see like he's thinking in the next movement. And then there was moments that you could realize like he was out of out of touch with time. And you were like, yo, I hope he catches up to, you know, what these other people are doing. Um, but he's a he was a genius, man. He's a genius in his own right. I mean, he's still living genius and, and being able to collaborate and kind of push those things forward. That's where I kind of learned that element of sports marketing was just being behind him every day because he knew what it was like to drive that forward. But that that's that's definitely exactly how how it should look and how it should be forward thinking. Gotcha. So so talk about gender and race um, as it relates to the industry, the marketing, sports marketing industry. Is that industry diverse? <sighs> it's it's becoming it's becoming more diverse. I'll say that. Um, they're finding new ways every day to incorporate more um, more elements of people uh, from different settings. I would say um, it used to be more so about just like include. I'll say this: like when you look at diversity and inclusion, it used to be from a standpoint of just involving racial background kind of thing. Um, now it's more so from the sense of, hey, how can we incorporate um, different segments of people, um, whether it's how they talk. Like now, you know, they might have a lingo that's in, I don't know, in LA. And because of it being from LA, that lingo is an easy tool to kind of get triggers on people because now all of a sudden, Folks who are not from there are listening for the sound and saying, oh, this is different. Like now yeah. I can find a new wave. Um, and we're starting to see that, you know, even with the elements of just international athletes being, um, you know, driven at our faces here in America. You know, Giannis Antetokounmpo is one of the premier athletes that now they're driving shoes where. 20 years ago, they wouldn't drive an international shoe into the market. Like, they mm -hmm. wouldn't do it. They wouldn't drive, uh, you know, Dirk Nowinski didn't get his own shoe, you know? Yeah, I was just about to say that. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's changed. So, so now they're not looking for just racial differences within the diversity and inclusion, but they're looking for all different types of aspects, whether it's how you talk, the way you dress, the way you walk, where you hang out at. Uh, who do you party with? Um, you know, who's your friends that are around you? How does your mom look? How much money do you make? You know, where are you going today? You know, all of that stuff comes into an account for how, you know, how it looks now. 
Yeah, I'll say, and not not a lot of people recognize the name I'm about to say, but if you go back to basketball in the 80s and 90s, you might remember the name of Drazen Petrovic. Mm-hmm. And before there was Dirk, there was Drazen, who mm-hmm. literally was being looked at as like MJ level and what he could mm-hmm. do on the basketball court. And I forget exactly where it happened, at, but he was killed in a car crash from what I remember mm-hmm. um, somewhere overseas. I think it was off season when he was killed mm-hmm. in a car crash. But Drazen Petrovic used to, you know, <laughs> he used to kill him. And so he was going to be that breakout European star before the Dirks, before the Tony Kukos, before those types of guys. Um, but looking at business as a whole in sports, mm-hmm. what's the, the big money lane as it relates to marketing? And what's the biggest area of difficulty in sports for marketing? Um, so you said the biggest line, like opportunity pretty much? The money lane. Where, where's the big money in, in oh, okay. sports market? The, 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 the money lane is definitely in social media, without a doubt. It's, it, it's, it's a driving force. Um, it is the platform that determines um, how people can make or break their brand or their opportunities. I mean, there's, yeah. plenty of, there's plenty of athletes that are out here that could have easily been more dominant for what they did. I look at somebody like Tim Duncan, and I'm like, yo, he could have drove in so much more money towards his pocket, but his his focus was not on the common era of what was going on at the time. He was more kind of concerned about just playing basketball. Um, yeah, he also drove, like, the same car and, and dressed like a farmer. Like, he really just didn't care. <laughs> yep. But it was crazy because he had so many opportunities because, you know, the, the man was uh, – and he was, he could have been an Olympic swimmer. You know what I mean? Like we look at all of the different athletic things that he could have done. Um, being from the Virgin Islands was one thing. Like I would have played off of that, you know, in a, you know, mm-hmm. he, he could arguably, um, and I'm not saying he is, I'm saying he arguably could be the greatest international player of all time. I mean, if you're not counting Virgin Islands into America, but as far as, you know, you know, the Virgin Islands, I mean, he, he's hands down, but um, that that whole social media platform right now is a cash cow. You can drive your followers. Um, right now, a lot of athletes are starting to use this platform called Linktree, um, which is driving a lot of different avenues of them showing what they offer um, without actually having to say it, um, which is a great platform. I actually interviewed for a job for them. I didn't get it, but I interviewed for a sports league job for them. And it was interesting when I, when I did it, just the conversations that they were having and, and their plans of talking about what they were looking forward to. And a lot of it was just the work that they wanted to do out of LA and New York. And like they said, LA and New York is driven by social media. So that's a big mm. cash cow is what you do through your social media. Um, I'll say one of the downfalls, um, more than anything is the grassroots level um a lot of athletes right now players are getting are getting stuck up in the the development stage of their game and their uh brand or their perception and they're not able to fall through to the next level where it's like okay we are now involved in something that's a little bit different than the norm um those guys are following trends. That's what they're doing. They're not like, you know, like for instance, when we were coming up, you had your Kevin Garnett, like Kevin Garnett, even though he wasn't the first guy out of high school 
to get drafted to the NBA, Kevin Garnett came on the scene and it was like, oh crap, this is his own lane. Then you had Kobe Bryant that was like his own lane. Even though he's out of high school, he was in his own lane. Allen Iverson, small mm -hmm. guard, quick, shifty. Everybody started to be in their own lane. Now we're getting the same kind of players that we don't know in three years and they're not able to create that brand setting. The one guy that I will say that has been able to do it and come through that pipeline is LaMelo Ball, which is huge. Um, he's going to transcend the market in so many different ways is ridiculous. But a lot of people, a lot of kids in this, in this new era, that's why we can say still to this day, which is weird, 19 later, 19 years later, like if you think about it, even though Michael Jordan was Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan at the tail end of his career was not the top guy. Like even marketing wise, we had moved on to Allen Iverson. We moved on to Kobe Bryant. We moved on to Shaq and Tim Dun Like we had moved on. We had moved on. We're still not moving on from from uh, LeBron. We're still not moving on from Carmelo. We're still not moving on from the Dwayne Wade's like that era is still lurking around the NBA and it, and, it, and it's taking a lot of the cash out of the market, which is which is smart for LeBron because he controls a lot of it. But that's the difference. That's the that's mm -hmm. the lack of that development of guys learning the system instead of actually coming in. Now they're just coming in and just playing and just like, well, I saw this one guy do it. So I'm gonna try to do the same thing. And, it, and it's it's hurting the, the the ability to kind of transcend that that market. Yeah, I'm a, I'm gonna play agent for a second and uh, or hype man I should say for a second and because uh, you mentioned Trace you mentioned Tracy I think you mentioned Tracy KG AI but no disrespect to Penny Hardaway I mean Penny Hardaway Little Penny that whole thing mm -hmm. that kind of kicked off the whole that whole era of TV commercials and mm -hmm. doing that type of stuff too so I'm, I'm playing Penny Hardaway's hype man right now don't disrespect. Oh no 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 doubt about it Penny was. I mean, with everything you 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 talk about, little Penny. I mean, when I saw him in No Diggity video, like that was mm -hmm. that was that was the shebang for me. I mean, like like I said, I I I you know I definitely recognize it. I just think that the transition in eras was a little bit smoother. Um, you know, like that I looked at when it came to the game and its dominance. Versus like LeBron is still holding on mm -hmm. at the top 19 years later. I mean, there's some, still there's some guys that have come along that's, you know, fighting for it and stuff like that. But regardless of whatever, the, the NBA moves the way LeBron moves. And, you know, that's that was unheard of that somebody 19 years in a game would do something like that. Mm -hmm. So. Well, since, we, since we're talking about basketball, let, let's shift a little bit to the college ranks. We got March Madness, which I talked about in my opening second, my favorite time of the year, March Madness, great basketball, one shining moment, all that stuff. How has the NCAA marketed their brand in this tournament so well over the years that people like me and all over this country, all over this planet cannot wait in anticipation for March Madness? They use, this, they use a marketing technique called cliffhanger. Um, cliffhanger is the opportunity to just keep somebody at edge every single time. Um, they do a really good job at it because a lot of times when these games are done, it feels like a one and done. That's the reason why the NBA doesn't have the same feel is because they don't use cliffhangers. 
Um, they use con- even though like their season is eighty two games, and then you get the playoffs and all of the stuff like that out of seven. The idea that when you get to the NCAA tournament, it's one and done leaves cliffhangers like you just don't know the idea that we're left to like you know betting on each round or even in conference tournaments like who's going to be the upset person that gets in the tournament you know that didn't do it the ncaa has done an amazing job because their focus is how can they find the next um you know the next marketing tool uh through the ranks and being able to kind of promote it as what's going to happen with this person, um, you know, versus the NBA is kind of like watch what happens to this person. There's a completely complete difference. Um, you know, like I look at this guy uh, at Duke, um, Banchero. He's a freak of nature, freak of nature. But it's kind of like what will happen? Like we don't know. Um, and this tournament is going to be such surprises because. Literally, you know, and I'm not saying it will happen, but I look at situations like what just happened in South Carolina, South Carolina girls. Mm. They just lost yeah. in the first, what was the second round? I think it was first or second round of their conference yeah. tournament. They lost to Kentucky and it was like, hold up. Mm. This is supposed to be like another championship year. Now it's like you watch them bleed, you know, and, and mm. they do a really good job of hyping up the idea that someone loses one. You know what I mean? Like every loss in some form or fashion, it means something to every team. You know, every count, depending on the places they sit and all of that, it all matters. Like there's a tight race in the NBA right now, but we don't even feel it. Like we don't even feel it. It's like, okay. All right, we'll see what happens. Whatever happens to it. I think one thing too, the NBA too, I mean, you get 82 games, you get a little fatigue. Like for me personally, I don't even watch the NBA until after all-star break. It's just one of the things. Like it right. just doesn't matter to me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, I, I, I agree. It's a, I mean, I'm always tuned in cause I, I get involved as much as possible. Um, I try to stay in tune with a lot of the, um, different avenues of people that I work with and people that I know that work in that, in that field. So I always try to stay as tuned in as I can. But yeah, I agree. Like it, until after that that break, it, you really don't get the the you know the the heightness of you know people driving to figure out what they're going to do. But I don't I don't get the same. Like, like I said, that that NCAA life of cliffhangers is one of the most beautiful things that has ever been created that they've been able to do for their market and for their fan base. Hmm. And I look forward to the Luther Vandross version of One Shining Moment every year. So you know, it's just. One of those right. things. But conversely, looking at Major League Baseball, to me, they're on life support with their fans right now. I mean, I used to have season tickets. I got rid of them. It just didn't matter to me anymore. Um, they're in the midst of a strike right now. Um, Tip-off day. I about to say tip-off day. Uh, first day of spring training is wiped out. There's no preseason. Major League Baseball's preseason is spring training, for those that don't know. Um, and opening day, don't know if it's going to happen. So what can Major League Baseball do outside of labor disputes to – get fans back, keep the fans they have, and just improve their brand in general? Um, I think they've been trying to do a lot of different things already, uh, like speeding up the game. Um, they've had games where they've had shorter innings. Um, I think that they have to find ways to actually implement um, better 
uh, activation plans for their grassroots level. Um, kids aren't as hip to it anymore and they haven't made it fun. Um, of course, you know, we came up in the era of the Barry Bonds versus Sammy Sosa versus Mark McGuire versus Ken Griffey. Um, and then you go with the pitchers, your Roger Clemens, all of that kind of stuff like that. Um, we haven't found, they haven't found a way to create true rivals in baseball in this new era. And that's where the problem comes in. Like, you know, when I was growing up, um, and I'm a big, I'm a Mets fan. Um, <laughs> Sorry to hear that. Don't worry. This is the year for us. This is the year for us. We got the two. Sound like a we got the fan. two greatest. No, no, no. I don't. I don't normally say this. We got the two greatest pitchers in baseball. We're good. We're good. <laughs> but Chelsea. <laughs> but um, yeah, they haven't found a way to create that rivalry spark, and that's why people are not interested. There's no rivalry spark like i'm used to when i was um coming up it was the uh the randy johnson's you wanted to see randy versus barry bonds you wanted to see that you know mm -hmm. what i mean you wanted to you it, it's not the same feels like even though like we got one of the best pitchers we had one of the best pitching lot you know lineups recently um us and the, the nationals um with scherzer and um oh my god who was the other other pitcher that was down there in Washington, I forget his name. Oh God, Scherzer, and it was another uh, pitcher, huh? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I know you're talking. About I can't think of his name. Right and then for us, we had Syndergaard, we had um, Jacob Degrom. Um, like, there's these teams that have really good, um, you know, players and pitchers and and athletes, and they're not finding ways to market the story. There's no story behind. Players versus players. It's not. It's no longer like that. Um, um, they got the kid Shotani, uh, the J Japanese player, but they don't have anything built behind who he's facing or what he has to overcome in order to be a great player in the league. And that's where the struggle is. Um, you know, compared to we looked forward to seeing what guys were going to do with you know the Giants versus the versus the, the Atlanta Braves and the Mariners versus, you know, the Chicago Cubs and all of that kind of stuff like that. And that's where that's where the game is. Even, you know, of course, the Yankees versus whoever. So, you know, that that's that that market has changed. Gotcha. So I'm a, a little bonus question uh, real quick. So just taking the four major mm -hmm. sports, what is the biggest rivalry out of all four major sports? Oh wow. To you. That's a good one. Um so that's a good one. So basketball is always gonna be Lakers and Boston for me. Always. Um they you know, they go back, you talking about seventeen titles apiece. Uh they got you know, everything out the wazoo when it comes to um marketability and understanding their legendary uh, players that came through their teams. Um, you know, if you listed the top 25 players, they probably, they may, the Lakers in Boston may have, I want to say 15, maybe 13 to 15 of that 25, maybe. Mm. Um, so I think that that's kind of like a big rivalry. 
Uh, NFL-wise, I'm always going to say um, Dallas and Pittsburgh, always. I think that if they ever get, you know, in front of each other, that's always a clash where it's going to turn out to a war. I mean, there's all kinds of rivalries that are within um, the NFL that, you know, people say they'll say, you know, within the divisional rivals and all of that. But ultimately, when you talk about winning and, you know, wanting to see like those fans versus fans, you know, that activation, that drive for money, Pittsburgh, there's nothing like Pittsburgh versus Dallas um, historically over the, you know, over over the years. If they can just, you know, get back to that point. I'd say Eagles fans are back to differ, but continue. Uh, listen, I don't I, honestly, like I said, I know that the divisional wise in the NFC East, the Eagles have um, such a good core when it comes to rival, but I don't think their pitch as um, a team sets president across the country um, when it comes to marketability and being able to gravitate fans in um, like the Cowboys like the Niners, like the Steelers. Um, there's just certain teams that is just a different beast across the country. Oakland, I mean, Las Vegas Raiders. Um, those guys, it, it's something different about what they've done with their with their team. But I definitely put, the Eagles are close. I'd say they're close. Um, Baseball-wise, um, I'm always going to say, I'm always going to say the Yankees, um. Hmm. That's a. Let me make sure. I mean, Yankees Red yeah, Sox is probably yeah. Yankees like Red Sox is just is 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 high ho. Like that's just. I mean, like what can you say historically? And it's weird because even though a lot of people look at Boston so greatly, I don't even think Boston sits up there with like Atlanta Braves. Like if it was me, I would love to always see. Um. Atlanta Braves versus the Yankees. Like, if I could see that every year, that would be heaven. Um, even though I'm a big Mets fan, I, I love um, that 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 combination because Braves, to me, historically, consistently have always been great. Boston is all. I mean, they've had their runs, but I think you know, it is what it is. But I definitely think Yankees, Boston, Red Sox is is huge. Um, what else? What what's the last sport? Am I missing one? Oh, last one's hockey. Hockey. Right as of right now, or can I go right now or just historically? Oh, all wow. time. Um, all time, I would say, this is just me, Boston and New Jersey Devils. That's what I would go with. Boston and New Jersey Devils. Boston Bruins. Okay. I meant the, uh, yeah, right? Am I Bruins? Boston Bruins. Yep. I'm, for a minute, I was thinking about something else. Boston Bruins and the New Jersey Devils. I think that they have. You know what? No. It might be Boston and the Islanders. It might be Boston Bruins and yeah, the Islanders. That's another one. I go back to Pittsburgh and L.A. Yeah, uh, Gretzky and Lemieux were both. In yeah, the I mean that's that's historically like two two guys that you mm. you never overlook. You know, what I mean that's like right now. I meant well, just about maybe I'm gonna say five to ten years ago, 
you were talking about Pittsburgh and Washington, like Ovechkin versus mm -hmm. Crosby. Like, you know what I mean? So there's all kinds of yeah. different battles. Um, I just know that Boston Bruins have always been blood sport when it comes to, to hockey. Um, and I know that the Islanders have had their moments uh, where they've been up, up and up. I know the New Jersey Devils have, even the Detroit Red Wings, man, that's a, that's, a, I almost forgot about them. Cause I, I actually, before I became a Flyers fan, um, and I, that's the only team that I switched into the Philadelphia market, I was actually a Detroit Red Wings fan for some reason. So. Yeah. I mean, you had old wings, blues games, you know, and Brett Hall was yep. still playing for the blues. That was big time. Big time. Yeah, you got a lot, a lot of potential rivalries. It's tough to do in, at those those and all you, time. You missed the greatest sport of them all. Soccer. Which one is that? Oh, oh yeah. I, I said four major oh, okay. in the U.S. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, so that's the uh, the end of the Q and A. So now I'm gonna move to my favorite part of my podcast. Was my guest anyway? My segment called First Thoughts. First thoughts, first of all, is brought to you in part by SRA Solutions, simple solutions for complex problems. For over 15 years, SRA Solutions has provided today's solution to prevent tomorrow's problems. SRA Solutions will provide you effective, efficient, robust, and reliable business intelligence, application website design, and PC support services. For more information, visit their website at www.srasolutions.org. Now, as I always say, if this is your first time tuning into Dave's head, shame on you but I'm happy you're here. The way First Thoughts works is I pose a question or a phrase to my guests. They're not privy to them. I do not supply these before time or before they come on because the idea is what's their first thought. Yeah. So Amos, you ready? All right. So first, first thought, and it's kind of relevant actually to something that broke news in the NFL today. But if I say betting on sports to you, what's your first thought? Horrible. Horrible. Um, it's just not, it's not good for sport, period. Uh, I, I know that they've included it within our everyday society and how people go about doing it, but it drives people mad. I think that it takes away the fun sometimes. Um, you know, people will look at it as fun, but it, I think it draws more of a, uh, attention, um, thing where people are more at hype. And I think they're, that hype, you know, for some people it may seem fun, but it's it's a dangerous game to play. Okay, okay. So next first thought, and we can apply this to sports marketing, if you will. But if I say the hardest sell to you, what's your first thought? Um, placement. Placement. So there are four Ps in marketing. Um, I like to say six, but... We're going to go with the four that, that we've been given in the marketing mix, which is product placement, price, and promotion. Placement is always the toughest. Placement is like the devil because um, you really don't know where to put something at and how it should uh, be kind of like moved. That's why spaces are constantly being moved within shopping markets, within um, you know stores like Foot Locker right now. They're dealing with that problem. Um, they, they're... They're trying to figure out the new branding space and how they can combat um, losing out because Nike's pulling so much product out of their inventory, which is crazy. And I think that it could solve that problem easily by dealing with better um, 
programming for their placement. Um, but placement is the hardest thing. It's the hardest thing ever. Okay. So next first thought, integrity. What's your first thought? Um, my dad. Yeah, my dad. <laughs> seriously, I, I've never met. Uh, I've never, even still to this day, I've never met a man with such and in, more integrity in, ever. Like he, his word is bond. Um, he sticks to he sticks to his guns. That's what he does. He's a very old school, traditional, um, man that has been given such great presence in his life of understanding what it is to be a man and be there for his family even if you know and i don't know because i mean i know there's probably times that he probably might have said you know what this ain't for me or whatever i don't know but my dad's integrity his word has always been i mean i i can't say that about many people but my dad's word is always his word if he says something he mean it, and he ain't going back from it. He ain't going hype it up or none of that. He he's he's one of the, he's definitely integrity for me. Gotcha. And, and so for those who may be wondering why I laughed at the answer, it's because I originally thought you said my bad, and so for integrity, oh. the first thought to be my bad. Oh. That's what made me laugh. I'm like, why would? And yeah. So the second time you you repeated yourself, you said my dad, and I heard it. I'm like, oh, I'm <laughs> no, laughing no, like an good. asshole right now. But yeah. All right. So next to last, first thought, mentorship. What's um, your first Sigma. Thought? Sigma has been my mentorship more than ever. Like I, I can't. Sigma has been my mentorship more than ever. Like I, I can't say it enough. It's, it's driven me to places. Um, even before I got into the fraternity, um, it was the thing that got me, um, through a lot of my moments of trying to figure out what I was going to do. Uh, it gave me my fiance. It gave me, it, it's, it's been such great to me when it comes to the, the brothers who have taken the time out to encourage me and give me such insight on how I can become a better person. As they say, mm -hmm. you know, they strip you down mm -hmm. and build you right back up. So, you know, to me, there's no better mentorship than having that type of influence gotcha. in my life. Um, so last first thought. And I actually touched on this in my opening segment, but bullying, if I say bullying, what's your first thought? Pussy. Hate to say it. <laughs> Sorry, That's explicit podcast. You can say what you want. But, okay. Okay. Pussy. Pussy. Seriously, like, it, it's just, um, I ain't going to hold you. You know, I, I know I, you know, I don't talk about this often. Um, when I was younger, I was bullied. Um, traumatized by bullying. Um, I hate it. I hate bullying. Um, bullying is uh, one of those things where I never knew because of where I grew up at what the outcome would come from from bullying. Um, I've had my jaw broke by people who were bullies. Um, I've been into like, you know, I've been jumped by kids for bullying who were bullying. Um, I was a kid who grew up in a neighborhood in uh, pretty much the North Philadelphia section. Um, I grew up in Logan and um, they, like, I went to private school. I was one of the only kids, me and my brother, on a block that went to private school and kids just wasn't feeling it. 
um, you know, we were different. We were outside of the norm and, you know, the bullying just always continued, even no matter where I went, you know, some people just didn't like the way I talked about certain things or how I went about my walk, but I, I hate bullying, man. It, I just think that any bully is a pussy and I, and, and they don't got nothing better to do with their lives than, than do that. Gotcha. No, I That's definitely empathize with that. There, there was some cases of bullying and as I was coming up and I kind of joke about it now. Um, but you know, I was, I was teased. My mom was a cop and she kind of dressed me a little different. You know, I got rides to school, even though I lived a half a block away, like that type of stuff. So, um, it didn't always go over well with people, but you know, some of the people who bullied me were cool today. So it, it really depends on the type of person. Cause some people just continue that bullying throughout their entire life. And some people grow up and mature and even apologize. Mm -hmm. But so mm -hmm. that's the end of the first thoughts. And so Amos, I want to give you an opportunity as I do with all my guests. If there's anything you'd like to talk about, promote or push, feel free to do so now. Absolutely. Um, one of the things that I was actually, ooh, I'm sorry. One of the things that I'm actually interested a thought, and this is maybe a, um, a conversation to throw to you. I know that, um, you know, we've talked on um, different levels. One of the things I admire about you, and this is one of the things that I wanted to talk about on my on my platform, I wish it would have worked out, um, is that I'm actually interested to know more about your leadership. Um, you know, you talk about mentorship, you know, using the word, and um, I'm encouraged by what you've done with um, in our Eastern region. I'm encouraged what you've done for our, our, you know, brothers internationally. I'm encouraged by what you do on a normal basis. I'm always seeing you rather on Instagram or seeing you in person. You're always enjoying yourself and you create a great element um, for brothers that want to be around you. You make brothers feel like, like every time you do something, it's like, I want to go down to Delaware and kind of, you know, do stuff with you know those guys down there because of how encouraged um i am but i'm interested to know um what do you it what do you see in myself first and then on the second part is um what about your leadership can you give to me you know encouragement you know based off of the things that you uh do? so first i'll say this is the first uh because no guest has ever asked me questions um in the closing segment when they're supposed to be promoting their own stuff so it's definitely a first what Dave said. Um, what I'll say is one of the things I see about you is you have a passion, right? You're very engaged. You're very, um, you show initiative, a ton of initiative. And so I think whether it's Phi Beta Sigma or anything you do in life, having a passion about something and showing initiative in that passion is going to nine times out of 10 lead to success. And so I think that's a great foundation to have, whether it be in the Eastern region or just like I said, in life to maintain that passion and build upon it become smarter in it, educated in it, um, get the experience necessary to grow in it, um, and then you'll find success in it. I think um, one of the things I am, I have to get the gap, right? I can talk all damn day long, but that came from college. I was, a, I was a shy kid. I went to college, met one of my closest friends, two of my closest friends actually, started doing radio broadcasting, and suddenly I developed this talent for being able to speak until people tell me to shut up. Um, but it's something I'm also passionate about. I have very passionate opinions about damn near everything. Um, but I'm also, I like to inform myself and educate myself on the things I talk about. Cause otherwise I'm ignorant, just like I'd say some people are sometimes. So I'd say, just keep that passion, that initiative, that initiative going and the willingness and desire to learn and grow. And I think that'll carry you a long way, not only in five, eight, Sigma, but also in life in general. Um, the second part of your question, when it comes to mentorship, as I always tell 
whether I'm speaking to students or this coming Saturday, I got to give a speech next Sunday. I got to give a speech. Um, what I always tell students when I mentor them is that I get that from my own mentors. I had two mentors, lifelong mentors are both still alive, thankfully. Um, but I had them in high school and I always tell the story. And the way I describe them is that if I never met them, my life path would certainly be different. And I feel like the fork in the road in that moment in my life was either make really good choices or make really bad choices. And they guided me to the right side of the, that fork. And so my passion for giving back is because somebody changed my life by giving back to me. And so I always want to pay it forward in that way because you never know each, you know, each one, teach one or reach one, however the saying goes, you never know with that one person that you help out and you reach back and pull up how they're going to impact somebody else down the line. And so the more you give back, the more fruits can be bloomed from it is the way I look at it. So. Absolutely. Well, definitely. I want you know, once again, I thank you um, for having me. Um, you know, for me, I don't have much that I, I promote myself specifically. That's in terms of like the public. Um, I always tell people um, go out and support black businesses as much as possible. They're out there. Um, there's some great stuff. You got Harriet's uh, bookshop. You got, um, oh, this is in Philadelphia. Harriet's bookshop. You got, um, you know, Uncle Bobby's, um, you know, uh, there's, there's different types of restaurants that, you know, they're out there. Um, uh, what is it? Uh, the, our brother opened up, it's called Blue, I can't think of the name, it's in West Philly. It's, he has his own spot, it's in West Philly, I gotta think of the name. Um, but, uh, you know, there's different kinds of things that are out here, um, but it's so important to support and continue to support black businesses. Um, the other thing that I always tell people, um, you know, for encouragement is, yo, education is so important. Please encourage your kids to be um, educated as much as possible. Make education, you know, worthwhile, not just, um, you know, it should be fun, but not just a, a sense of, um, you know, this is what you got to do, but have them understand why they're doing it. Um, right now, we are suffering in the school district of Philadelphia with education. And um, there's a lot of folks who don't understand what it takes in order to get these kids in the right direction. Um, and, and, and it's sad. It's really sad to see it. Um, and then last but not least, man, stay uplifted, stay guided. You know, you know, there's always, as my sister tells me all the time, you're exactly where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. Um, and I think I'm encouraged by that every single day when I think about her telling me that. And, uh, you know, I say, you know, smile, find ways of enjoyment and have fun. I'm not perfect every day, but I always try to laugh and crack jokes and get on, uh, you know, and even, you know, dabble with getting on people's nerves in a funny way, uh, especially my fiance. So, you know, be encouraged and, and be happy and support yourself. So. Gotcha. Great words. Great advice. Um, with that, Brother Leek, I appreciate you stepping in Dave's head and taking the time to do so. My absolute favorite segment of my podcast is my grin, which stands for great reason to be in love with now. Green Matters, www.greenmatters.com, is for people looking to, quote, live more sustainably, fight the climate crisis, and learn about environmental justice. Some of the topics they cover on their website include sustainable living trends, environmental change makers, food and energy innovation, clean energy, and environmental justice. 
there are a plethora of things that they talk about, articles they post, and just content that they have in general with the topic header of environmental justice, sustainability, climate change, all these things. But they also, this month, in addition to their climate initiatives, feature an article entitled 31 Women's History Month Facts. After all, we're in Women's History Month this month. For instance, one of the things I learned about in this article, and it's the very first thing, and so the reason it's 31, obviously it's March 31st, you know, 31 days, half September, April, June, yeah, never mind. Anyway, one of the things that I learned from reading this article was that Women's History Month actually began as Women's History Week in 1978, <coughs> the year after I was born. So Women's History Month actually started as a week. And you think about the different things over time, Black History Month, you think about all the different things that have started from infantile stages. In 78, we're gonna give you a week. And at some point, which I encourage you to look at the article, it became an entire month. But I wanted to talk about them as a grin because I'm a big proponent of the climate change topic. I think the climate is definitely changing. You look at the rising waters, you look at the stronger storms, you look at tornadoes popping up in Pennsylvania where I used to live in Jersey that we're getting where we didn't get those before. The stronger blizzards, more powerful tornadoes. Climate change is real. And we need to do serious due diligence to ensure that as you know, the talking point sometime is next generation, let's do good for them. Well, let's do good for them. If we constantly take from this planet, at some point it's going to get tired of us taking from it. So I encourage you to check out greenmatters.com for climate topics and more, but also I encourage you to check out this article, 31 women's history month facts and learn a thing or two about the month that we're in not just when it's posted on social media, not just when it's a topic at the job, when they send out an email, but find out about Women's History Month, the women involved in it, the story behind it, how it came to be, and even how it came to be just a week. I encourage that. Please check them out at www.greenmatters.com. I want to thank Amos Leak. You can find him on Instagram at capital A dot M dot O dot S dot in mind all one word on instagram please support our sponsors digga movers at www.diggamovers.com and sre solutions inc at www.sresolutions.org if you're interested in sponsoring on dave's head please feel free to reach out on any of my social media or contact through my website at daveshead.car.co and so many other ways and we'll make it happen so finality Thankfully, marketing and green matters, all great reasons to be in love with now. That's all for this episode of Dave's Head. Follow and feedback on our Dave's Head podcast, Facebook page on Instagram and Twitter at Dave's Head Pod. Subscribe and give your sentiments at Dave's Head podcast on YouTube and listen on your preferred podcast player at anchor.fm forward slash Dave's Head Pod. For more information on all things Dave's Head, Check out our website at daveshead.card with two r's.co. Episodes premiere on the second and fourth Fridays of the month. Thanks to all my headers for tuning in and remember, enjoy life because life should be fun. Take care.